Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And today we are going to be talking about the government's redress scheme for survivors of mother and baby homes, which, as you will have heard, has not gone down very well at all with survivors. Since the Commission report came out, it is literally every couple of months, you feel like you're being battered by the government again. They're not listening to survivors. When we do raise our voices, they're ignored. We're just listening to this spin of everything is sorted now. Everyone's getting their information because we've got so many schemes going. It's not true. It's not true. And that's the hardest thing to deal with. That was Noelle Brown there. And we'll be hearing more from her and from human rights lawyer Maeve O'Rourke in a moment. First, you might have seen the headlines about the publisher of a parenting website who was found to be discriminating against a sales executive over pregnancy. The Workplace Relations Commission find the publishers of parenting website Every Mum and cookery magazine Easy Food and they've been ordered to pay a sales executive 32500 after breaching the Employment Equality Act 1998 by dismissing Sandra Varian four months after she told the company's CEO she was pregnant. The publisher had denied discrimination, arguing that it terminated Miss Varian's contract at the end of her probationary period because she claimed she was failing to meet sales targets. However, the Workplace Relations Commission heard evidence from a former colleague of the complainant who said that she had less sales than Miss Varian, but had had her probation extended. So it seems they were caught bang to rights. And in his decision published this week by the Workplace Relations Commission, adjudicating officer Hugh Lonsdale quoted case law stating that the burden of proof in a maternity protection case fell on an employer to show that any adverse treatment was in no sense related to her pregnancy. He said the evidence was that Ms. Varian had notified the CEO of the company that she was pregnant in August 2021 and that a first performance issue was raised on September that year. And he noticed the evidence of the other former sales executive who had stated that her probationary period had been extended despite having cleared a lesser volume of sales. It is my conclusion, he said, that the complainant would have had her probationary period extended if she had not been going on maternity leave. This would have been an opportunity to convert some of the business in the pipeline and develop new business in the new year, Mr Lonsdale wrote. Upholding the discrimination claim on the grounds of gender, he ordered the company to pay Ms Varian 32500 in compensation, a sum he wrote was equivalent to six months' salary. So hopefully that might serve as a warning to any other companies trying to discriminate against pregnant people, which is still going on incredibly. And you have to say, the fact that they're the publishers of a parenting website called Every Mum, you might have expected 
something different from them, but it just goes to show. Now, we have been following closely, as you know, on this podcast, the stories of survivors of mother and baby homes. And that long running saga took another depressing turn this week when the government debated their mother and baby institutions payment scheme bill 2022 in the Dáil. The bill is currently at the report stage. Survivors are deeply unhappy with the eligibility requirements set out within the bill, which they say excludes 40% of survivors. The scheme excludes anyone, for example, who spent less than six months in an institution. It excludes people who were boarded out. It also excludes recognition of abuse in an abusive adoptive setting or boarding house placement. And the enhanced medical card, which is part of the scheme, is only available for anyone who is institutionalised for more than six months. Now, for their part, the government say that this is the biggest redress scheme ever at €800 million, but survivors and campaigners have been vociferous in their opposition to it. People before Prophet TD Richard Boyd Barrett who was in a mother and baby home himself, described it as an arbitrary scheme that includes some and excludes others and has a league table with a price tag on it, which commodifies your suffering. To discuss all of this, we welcomed back two women who've been activists in this area for years. Lecturer and Director of Human Rights Law Clinic, Maeve O'Rourke, who is co-director of the Clan Project, and actor, writer, director and adoption rights activist, Noelle Brown, who was born in the Besborough Mother and Baby Home in the 1960s and adopted as an infant. First, we're going to play a clip of Holly Cairns TD speaking in the Dáil last week and then we'll hear from Maeve and Noel about why the government's attempt at redress has been so badly received by survivors. Here's Holly Cairns. This redress scheme is a deeply insulting and disrespectful response to the unimaginable pain and suffering endured by thousands of people at the hands of the state and church. It's shameful and intentionally inadequate to respond to the scale and magnitude of state-sanctioned abuse, violence and injustices perpetuated against girls and women, the victims of rape and incest, disabled people and people of colour. While no amount of money can ever compensate the survivors, this is about recognition, about the state fully and completely owning up to its historic past. Instead, the government is clearly and loudly declaring that only the trauma of some survivors matter, that only some violations will be recognised. That was TD Holly Cairns there speaking in the Dáil last week as the Mother and Baby Institutions Payment Scheme Bill 2022 was debated. There was no final vote taken on it, but that will happen again in the next few weeks. So Maeve O'Rourke, maybe we can start with you and you could just let us know what are the main flaws with this bill? Um, It is excluding an awful lot of survivors, isn't that right? Yes, Roisin. So the first thing to say about the bill is that it covers... 14 mother and baby homes and every county home. So the bill in itself is confined to the institutions that were the subject of the mother and baby homes commission of investigation. And then the government estimates there are 58,000 people still living who were in those institutions. And what it has done is to propose payments only to people who were a mother in an institution or a child who spent more than six months. So everybody who was separated from their mother before the age of six months, that is 24,000 of the 58,000 people is entirely excluded from the scheme. Another 
significant exclusion is that an enhanced medical card will only be available to women or indeed people who were children who spent more than six months in the institution. So you can see from that that the government is focusing. I suppose it actually explicitly explained through Senator Barry Ward the other night on television that it's basing this scheme on essentially the Magdalene Laundry scheme as if the main harm was the time and then the longer time that you spent in an institution. Although I would make the point that even the Magdalene Laundry scheme included everybody regardless of how long. So there was no exclusion for people who spent only, quote unquote, six months. Um, But what that fails to do is it fails to recognise that the key primary principle abuse that these institutions existed to um, further was separation of mother and child. That is a lifelong experience. um, And of course, excluding people who spend less than six months fails to take that into account entirely. There are other very important um, experiences of abuse excluded from the scheme For example, abuse suffered in an unregulated um, abusive adoptive home. Unfortunately, that did happen um, to many people. The abuse of people in boarding out placements, which you can see tens of descriptions of in the Mother and Baby Homes Confidential Committee report that are just sickening um, in the extremity of the abuse that people suffered. And that's well known. And people who were boarded out have been calling for a long time to be included in redress schemes. And then contrary to what the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission recommended, there's no recognition in the scheme for personalised, very grave abuses such as vaccine trials, disability-based or racial discrimination or illegal expatriation from Ireland for adoption abroad. Um, And so you can see... (laughs) This scheme is very limited and there's been no rational explanation except really the issue of cost saving, I think. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you next. I mean, you've sort of answered it, but what is the rationale? Because it would seem so cynical if it's purely money, because surely these people deserve everything that, you know, we should give them. And, and whether they were in there for two weeks or two years or whatever it was, that the very idea that they were separated from their mother and all of that, as you said, And what has Roger Gorman said of the rationale? Well, the first thing to say is that the minister has been on his own on the government benches every time this uh, bill has been debated. So it's now at all report stage. So he's been a very lonely figure in the doll and very little has been coming out from the government except for what he does say again again and again. Um, He basically keeps saying a combination of, number one, Uh, At one point he said people who spent less than six months wouldn't remember. So again, just a complete refusal to recognise the issue of forced family separation and the fact that that is the key wrong. Um, He then said, no, we have to base the scheme on duration of time spent because that will mean it's non-adversarial. But that makes no sense because less than six months is a duration of time spent. And mothers under the scheme, if they were up to three months or up to six months, there are small amounts to be awarded to them. So that makes absolutely no sense. Now, in the last few days, there have been news pieces saying, you know, oh, the cost of the scheme would go way up if we were to include everyone. So I think it's obvious that the real reason is cost. But the Department of Children has also been refusing to release under Freedom of Information its internal deliberations, saying that it would traumatise the people who are excluded uh, for the reasons to be released and that it would essentially further kind of public angst and uproar. Um so it's it's really unsatisfactory. And when, when we talk about the money, I don't think people necessarily understand how little 
is going to be paid out per person under this scheme. So a mother, for example, who spent up to three months before being separated from her child for life will receive €5,000 in exchange for waiving away all of her legal rights against the state. So the state is not, uh, you know, doing a very generous job here out of the goodness of his heart. No, it is receiving something extremely valuable in return. Um, you're, if you claim that you, for a work payment, um, that you did forced labour in an institution, it's €1,500 Euro for between three and six months forced labour as a woman. And you're not even allowed claim for anything below three months. And if you're in 13 of the 14 mother and baby homes, you're not actually allowed claim at all for a work payment because the Mother and Baby Homes Commission of Investigation found, and let's not forget, the High Court has declared its procedures eight times to have been illegal in how it treated survivors. But the Commission found that the work that the women did in mother and baby homes would generally have been work they would have been required to do at home and work that women did in farms all over the country. Again, failing to put two and two together that those women were locked in and not receiving any payment for their work and having been denied any wages were then unable to get out of there to build a life of their own with their child, all part of the forced family separation system. Before I come on to Noelle, you mentioned the report there in the commission, which has obviously been hugely controversial. Do you link that in with what's happening now with the redress scheme? 100% Roisin and the government keeps claiming, oh, we're not um, fully relying on the commission's report. We've gone beyond its very measly recommendations for redress. And yeah, it has in some respects. Um, it's including all the mothers, whereas the commission didn't think it should. Um, but at the same time, the government is standing by many of the commission's recommendations impliedly in how it's designed its scheme. Like the Commission of Investigation found that children who were in institutions for quote unquote short periods of time would find it very difficult to show that they'd been abused. Um, and that again is a is based on the notion of the Commission's other key finding that actually women weren't generally forced to give up their children. And although they may claim they didn't give consent, there's no evidence to show that that was their view at the time, i.e. their testimony is not evidence. Um, we have 550 people having given evidence to the Confidential Committee and then the Mother and Baby Homes Commission placing a notice at the beginning of that report saying uh, some of this is contaminated um, by people meeting each other or being influenced by media reports and not telling us how much. And it's very clear that that evidence, generally speaking, did not make its way into the overall findings. In the Confidential Committee's report, in terms of boarding out abuse in those informal adoptive placements and boarding out, I mean, it has to be read to be believed uh, the descriptions are the most horrendous things you could imagine ever happening to children. Um, and nonetheless, despite the confidential committee report saying it's a stream of similar accounts of abuse of all kinds, the actual commission itself concluded it would be impossible to state how badly uh, children were beaten, how violently they were beaten in boarding out placements. And like people who, for example, were boarded out, were abused in uh, adoptive homes, um, were subject to vaccine trials, they all brought cases under judicial review to the High Court saying 
it was a breach of our fair procedures rights and actually a breach of the explicit requirements of the um, Commission of Investigations Act 2004 for us not to have received a draft of the report where we were identifiable because we had a right to comment. And the Commission actually gave its draft findings to the institutions, to the religious, to the state, and they were able to comment and suggest, you know, where things weren't quite right as far as they were concerned and to challenge draft findings. So this Commission report has been wholly undermined by the High Court's declarations and the government has appended to the report, like all the paragraphs where survivors, the eight survivors should have been given the chance to reply. And yet we have a scheme that quite clearly, though the government would deny it, quite clearly on its face does uh, stem in many respects from the Commission's findings. Which is just really infuriating, isn't it? Especially when we know how much, it, to what degree it's been discredited in various different ways. I just want to bring Noelle in. Noelle, um, thanks very much for coming on. You were adopted out of Besborough when you were eight weeks old and you've been an incredible activist in this space for years as well as an artist and theatre maker. And you don't come under this scheme, do you? No, I, I don't. Um, I'm one of the 24,000 that are excluded um, because I left after eight weeks. And it's kind of interesting that they've made that figure because, you know, we know from, from st- people's stories and testimonies that are out there that those babies were taken within hours sometimes, within weeks, days. You know, the six-month, uh, you know, rule is very strange, you know what I mean, knowing full well what went on in there. And thank God those stories are out there that we do have a sense of what happened. But I am excluded from it. Um, I was also the subject of vaccine trials, like so many other babies in there, without um, our mother's consent. Um, that's not recognised anywhere. It's kind of blithely ignored that GlaxoSmithKline and large pharmaceutical companies were going in there um, and continuing those um, drug trials after we'd been adopted as well, that there were doctors calling and continuing. And none of the adoptive parents were told that that is what had happened to us in those environments. There was also food supplement trials. But yes, I, I am excluded from that, as well as having dealt with the last 20 years of having my information withheld from me, my identity withheld, my family medical history, all of that. And these last, I mean, really, since the Commission report came out, it is literally every couple of months, you feel like you're being battered by the government again. They're not listening to survivors. When we do raise our voices, they're ignored. We're just listening to this spin of everything is sorted now. Everyone's getting their information because we've got so many schemes going. It's not true. It's not true. And that's the hardest thing to deal with, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Um, just going back to the six months thing, Richard Boyd Barrett, who's been very strong on this as well, he said, I don't even know how long I was in a mother and baby home. I don't know. And it's irrelevant whether you were one week, one day, six months or two years, because the central crime the church and state committed was the primal wound of separating mother from her child. From the minute that happens, it has a lifelong effect on mother and child. It's the primal wound that begins on day one. And I think that's very eloquent in terms of what they're missing. But it just seems incredible that they are missing that. Yeah, well, it doesn't occur to them. I mean, we are constantly being talked to and talked about and legislation being enacted by people who have no idea of what what it means, what it feels like, how it affects you as an adoptee or as a birth mother. They have no clue about it and they refuse to listen to us. Um, They're not informed and it's just bizarre that our lived experiences don't seem to matter and we're being legislated by people who who don't know what it's like or don't care. And I think that was typified by by Roger O'Gorman saying that thing about, well, sure, you know, 
if they're six months, if it's before six months, they wouldn't remember. And Catherine Connolly, TD, who's been an incredible um, supporter for us as well, said, oh, does that mean so with my children, I needn't have worried about them for the first six months of their life? Sure, they're grand. They won't remember anything. They can be treated however. It is a bizarre statement, but it really showed. And I know he rolled back on it and apologised, but it really spoke to survivors saying, you have no idea what is going on or what has happened in our lives. And I think it's appalling and we're exhausted from it because every every couple of weeks there's something and it is like, here's what's going to happen. No taking account of what we've asked for, um, what we need, what is appropriate and a, a continued sense that at the end of the day, there's a protection of the Catholic Church who are the perpetrators of these absolute evil and a scale of horror that we haven't even come to terms with yet. The death of 9,000 children in this country at the hands of the Irish state and primarily the Catholic Church. And I've said this before, if there is an issue, if there isn't enough money down the back of the government couch to, to give fitting redress to survivors who have who deserve it, then let the Catholic Church pay. They made so much money off of selling babies, of unpaid labour, um, and they should they should pay. I don't see why. And anytime they, the government talks about this, it's like, oh, we've asked for a mission, we've asked for a meeting with the congregations. We've asked, no, demand a meeting and demand and force them to contribute to this. If there is an issue around money, then that's what should happen. Mm-hmm. For their part, um, Noel, the government have said that they're taking a holistic and non-adversarial approach to ensure that survivors and former residents are not re-traumatized by their engagement with this scheme. And what do you say? to that description. They are re-traumatising us every day, especially over the last few years since the Commission Investigation Report, which was an appalling, disgusting report and did not was not survivor-centred. Our testimonies were cut and pasted. They were we were we were shoehorned into the confidential committee. We weren't allowed to talk to the investigation committee. It, the whole thing was an absolute appalling. We were never saw our testimonies. They just printed them. They did whatever the hell they want, took them out of context. So that doesn't that doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's an absolute disaster as far as I'm concerned. But mm. they are re-traumatising us. They re-traumatise us every time they come out and say, well, you can't have your medical, your family medical history. You can't have it. What we'll do is send it your GP, but it'll be redacted anyway. And people are dying because they don't have that information. That is a fact. Um, so I don't I don't really believe that they really care about how much they're dramatising because their behaviour wouldn't be this if that was the case. And I remember speaking to some survivors last year and one of them said to me something which is really, it really stayed with me that she felt like the government were just waiting for a lot of them to die and, and, and waiting for that to happen. And that would be, you know, less things for them to worry about, which sounds... Quite stark, but do you, do you understand where they're coming from on that? I do, yeah. Delay, deny till we die. Um, that is the classic behaviour and every survivor that has ever sought information or sought, uh, sought justice has experienced that. We, we see that all the time and survivors are getting older and they're dealing with people, you know, that w- won't be around and people have died without justice. It's a very calculated um, behaviour in terms of the state agencies, agencies when you're applying for information for your identity, which you have a human right to, which the EU has told them we have the right to identity. There's a delay with letters, phone calls, and they wear you down. You either give up um, or, you know, th- there's no choice. There's nowhere to go. But it is, is it an absolute 
um, you know, that that's that's their modus operandi is to delay, deny till we die. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And that is callous and disgusting. And people are dying without justice. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Maeve, coming back to you, you mentioned the money earlier. The government's saying it's the biggest scheme ever. It's 800 million on the table. That's not all going to survivors, really, is it? Well, all of it. That comes from there's an interdepartmental kind of committee report of the civil servants who were tasked with designing the scheme. And they've calculated that now. It does include like every single administrative cost and IT cost you could consider. And it also seems to assume that. Every single one of the 34,000 people that they are planning to include will know about it, will choose to apply despite the menial sums on offer and the fact they've to sign away all their rights. Um, and that they'll all manage to do this within the five years that the government is giving for the scheme before it shuts it down and literally turns out the lights and does away with the body that's doing the payments altogether. So I don't think that's um, in any way realistic that every single person will find out and apply within the time. Um, and uh, to say that it's the biggest scheme ever, I don't understand where that comes from because it's absolutely not. So 20 years ago, the Residential Institutions Redress Board um, was set up and cost um, well over 1.2, between 1.2 and 1.4 billion euro 20 years ago for 15,000 people. So we can see that that is in no way true, even within the context of church-state related institutional um, and family separation abuses, then you only need to look at MICA redress, the defective apartments. I mean, how they can say that this is the biggest scheme ever and then use that as some kind of battering ram to tell the 24,000 people who want recognition more than they want any small amount of money to just be quiet and sit down is beyond me because it's so demonstrably untrue. Um, I really think that this looks like unconstitutional discrimination. Um, the arbitrariness of the dividing line between less than six months and more than six months. What is it about, you know, the minute that you hit six months that makes your experience as a child 
in a mother and baby home or county home soon to be separated from their mother um, different is unclear. The fact that they have chosen to include all mothers. So a mother who was in a mother and baby home for less than six months then, you know, is included, whereas a child isn't. Um, it is hard to demonstrate unconstitutional discrimination within legislation because the fact that legislation has been debated in Parliament means that the courts take quite a hands-off um, deferential approach. But where it is arbitrary, when where it cannot be reasonably justified, then, you know, it is uh, on extremely shaky ground and it's not impossible for it to be um, found to be unconstitutional. But again, I suppose the government might be thinking, well, that's a long way away if anyone manages to take a case. Uh, we'll be seeing them the whole way through through to the Supreme Court, uh, which will take about a decade probably. So um, we might just take our chances. Um, yeah. That's, I would say, potentially the thought process. Maeve, can I just ask you as well, going back to the fact that the people who get um, money will have to waive their legal rights to go to court or to sue again. The UN, I think, has called for that to be taken out, hasn't it? I think last year. Yeah, so several UN human rights bodies, particularly those who are concerned with the right to be free from torture and other forms of cruel or inhuman or degrading treatment, they have um, severely criticised the government for this. And actually, there was a decision a few years ago by the Committee Against Torture in Elizabeth Coppin's case where they agreed to hear Elizabeth's complaint about the state's ongoing refusal to recognise that human rights abuses happened in the Magdalene Laundries. Uh, the state had said, no, no, she's waived her rights to take any claims against us. And the Committee Against Torture said that does not apply um, to claims of torture or other inhuman or degrading treatment because that is an absolute right. You can never be subjected to that treatment and your rights to accountability and reparation in relation to it are similarly absolute. And it kind of highlights this key point that people who want inclusion in the scheme are looking for recognition of their value as equal citizens of Ireland who had a right not to be separated on discriminatory bases from their family and have had a right all of these years to their identity that has been denied and they want the state to recognise that wrong has been done to them and they want and of course I'm speaking you know Noel can speak to this personally and I shouldn't be putting words in people's mouths but as far as I can tell from everyone I've met they want the state to recognize its wrongdoing in order for people to be protected more in the future so that is also why you shouldn't be forcing people to waive their rights to go to court very few people are ever going to want to do that but the reason people go to court is less about money, often not at all about money. It is about a judicial declaration that wrong was done, that constitutional rights were engaged and were breached, and that the state should avoid, you know, breaching people's constitutional rights in future. So to prevent people going to court is highly problematic for many reasons. And Maeve, what about Noel's point about the Catholic Church should be um, forced to, to pay for this? Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I completely agree that the Catholic Church should be held to account and financially. And the problem is that the state sets the rules for litigation. It also, you know, undertakes the investigations that have the capacity to find wrongdoing. So 
we have a double whammy in respect of the mother and baby homes and forced family separation of number one, the Mother and Baby Homes Commission of Investigation, not um, taking the church to task sufficiently because I suppose it didn't allow engagement properly by those personally affected, um, nor by any lawyers on their behalf, you know, in terms of revealing documents, allowing people affected to have their testimony fully taken into account to suggest further lines of inquiry. It didn't apply, you know, any particular methodology in terms of the laws that it, you know, examined. Like, so it missed an opportunity. Um, And then in terms of access to court, like what the Irish government could do and what's very much in the news at the moment, of course, is it could actually make it possible to sue the religious orders. It could make the religious order orders have a legal personality that can be sued in court. It could amend statutes of limitations so that where there is sufficient evidence, a judge can allow cases go ahead where they are satisfied a fair trial can be had. This day could actually reveal the administrative records of the system so that people would have the evidence they need to back up their case. Because it's very hard to go to court without actually the paperwork that shows how this whole system operated. The state could amend its costs rules because at present, if you sue anyone and you have any assets, you risk, of course, losing everything if you don't succeed in your case. And you can be assured that the religious orders and the state use that every day of the week against people writing letters threatening that they will lose their house um, and everything they've worked so hard for after having been in one of these institutions uh, if they dare continue with their test case. Um, And, you know, there are so many other things that could be changed to enable people to go to court and the state, the government, has chosen not to do that and then treats people like, again, you know, going to the Attorney General's opinion the other day as if they are, you know looking for a favour, looking for a benefit and, you know, crying about the fact that, you know, the state won't do them a favour. Actually, they have rights and the state, through its operation of the legal system, has manufactured a situation where it's impossible to claim them. Maeve, I ask you this a lot whenever you're on, but it's like (laughs) when you're saying all those things they could do that they aren't doing, why? Why won't they make the church have a legal personality and so that they can sue them and all of that thing? What What is going on? I mean, I can't say for sure, but I think one clear issue is that the state was intimately involved in all of this abuse. So where were it to open up pathways to accountability, they will operate, um, you know, in respect of the state as much as they will operate in respect of the religious orders. I I personally think that is the key um, issue because this was state and church hand in glove. So everything that the state did, the church did too. Everything the church did, the state was involved in too. Yeah. Um, Yeah, self-protection all the way, it it sounds. And and again, just disregard for for the people who'd actually affected the survivors. Going back to you, Noel, what kind of message does this send out to survivors, to the people that you speak to all the time? And and you, Maeve, as well, you're in touch with these people all the time. What what are people feeling like? What has been the the feedback and response that you've heard, Noel, and, and from yourself? Deep, deep upset and hurt, you know, yet again. You know, every time they say, we're going to do something, it was the same with the information and tracing bill. You know, we, we gave them what, our opinion. We told them what we needed. We told them where the, the changes were to be made. 
um, and they still just raced it through. They did the same with the burials bill. It was a narrow scope. It was Tume, thankfully, but Bezbers excluded and all the other mother and baby homes that are out there with mass graves. You know, that's a fact. Um, so it, it's, people are upset. Of course they are. And it also, it, like Maeve was saying, this is about discrimination. So not only are they discriminating against us and leaving us with the legacy of you're not quite an Irish citizen, you're this other little thing that we will be reminded of every time we use our passport, every time we try to get a birth certificate. Um, it's this continuing. So what they're doing is they've they've done they've literally gone into our community of survivors and gone, well, 24,000 of you are actually even lesser than those people over there because we're going to do something for them, however pathetic that is in terms of, you know, the, the, the money that's involved. But we're separated again. And I think that's a really disgusting thing to do to people who are vulnerable and who have been treated appallingly by the state and the church all of their lives this has not over. And it, it the long-term effect of that, that you can't get out of it, you can't close close off that part of your life and move on, you are constantly reminded of it. And there's this sort of paternalistic kind of, that we're like naughty children, we're being difficult, now behave yourselves and we'll give you this, now be quiet, don't speak. It's appalling and it takes its toll on people. We're exhausted from this. And it's like we will never be, we will never have the equality. We will never have the details about our, the stories of our origins, the way every Irish citizen does, that they take for granted, that we're still with this illegitimate tag, even though that word was abolished. And that's really hard to take. And each time they do this and they refuse any amendments to the bill and they, they try and race it through the doll and ignore us, it's really, really upsetting um, and exhausting. That's, that's all I can say. And that's across the board. All of the survivors I've spoken to feel exactly the same way. This is to both of you before we, we finish. Um, the final vote on the bill hasn't yet happened. So there is still time to take action and make noise about this. I think a lot of the time when we hear all these things, people feel helpless. They feel like, well, there's nothing we can do. But actually, the amazing thing is that people power and people standing up against this stuff has actually made an effect in the past. So so to both of you, maybe May first, what, what would you like to say to listeners who feel like they'd like to do something? Yeah, we'd absolutely love people to join the email effort. Um, we've set up a, a link and wording. So once you click in, it'll bring you into your own email uh, server so that you can send personally um, on the CLAN project website. So C-L-A-N-N project.org and a tab for redress. Um, and if people send emails, you know, they can change the subject line. They can add in a bit of their own message as well. It makes a massive difference. Uh, if you can phone, all the better if you can phone your TDs. So this bill is now waiting for a vote at report stage. They've had, unfortunately, the whole debate. It was actually really disheartening and weird to see Minister O'Gorman on his own for the whole of the debate um, defending his bill and, and saying that he wouldn't be accepting amendments. And then the opposition would call a vote and the entire government would come in, sit down and then go through the vote and then They'd vote for, you know, without having anyone else having said anything in favour of this scheme. And I haven't received any government responses in favour of the scheme. Like no one is replying to our emails from the government side kind of because bizarre, they've nothing to say, it? I think, bizarre. in favour of it. Yeah, so they'd vote and then they'd all file out and then they'd be ready to come back in a half an hour later and vote again without actually standing up and saying, do you know what, like fighting for it. When, again, 
you know, looking at the Attorney General's opinion the other day, like if they really have good public policy reasons for this, well, say them. Defend yourself. Everybody recognises, you know, we don't live in a perfect world. We don't have all the money in the world. There are lots of competing priorities. So tell us why you think the 24,000 people should not receive this small amount that is actually about recognition more than it is about anything else. And they haven't been able to do that. And what's coming out of the minister's mouth doesn't make any sense in my humble opinion. So if you can ring your TDs before the vote on Dáil stage, that would be great if you can send emails, then it will go into the Senate. So again, the minister will have to come and defend himself to the senators. So you can continue then uh, the journey of your advocacy and be in touch with senators after that, unless we manage to get it, you know, changed at Dáil stage, which would be great. Yeah. And, and Noel, like the campaign to repeal the seal on the records worked in the past. So are you feeling kind of hopeful that people taking action and raising their voices can help this as well? Absolutely. And people do want to help. I think this country is exhausted from all of this as well, that, that you know, seeing our distress, hearing survivors' stories... There isn't, a, there isn't a family in Ireland that isn't affected by this issue or doesn't know someone who is. And in the past, <clears throat> people have been so supportive. And the emails and letters and talking to TDs, it works. It clearly works with Repeal the Seal campaign. And I would absolutely, in light of all this, because you have a young listenership as well, I meet a lot of young people whose parents were born in mother and baby homes and they're really angry on their, on their parents' behalf because of what they went through and because it's not taught in schools. They're hearing us talk about it all over the media, telling our stories. And when they realise the scale of what happened in there, they want to help. They want to help. And I would urge them to take part in this email campaign, to write, to ring, to keep the pressure on because it is important and it can change things. And we know what young people did in this country with with the repeal, with marriage equality. We need your help. And I do think they're underestimating the country actually in terms of the response at the moment and particularly around repeal the seal and all of the revelations that are coming out. People are angry and people feel angry with the Catholic Church and with the state that are protecting the Catholic Church. And it's time to face up to our history. And with with the young people behind us, we can make this happen. We can make it happen because they're not listening to us. They want us to be quiet. But it collectively, if this country stands together, young and old, and finally faces this horrendous chapter in our history, we can perhaps move on we can have justice, we can have truth, we can have reconciliation. But this battering of survivors continually and dividing and conquer and excluding, it has to stop. It's time. And I urge any young person out there, whether they have parents who came out of mother and baby homes or not, to stand with us because we need you. We really, really need you. OK, well, I think that's a great place to, to leave it there. And I'm very grateful to you both for coming on and talking to us again. And, you know, we, we will return to this subject and we will follow closely what happens. And yes, I'm definitely urging all our listeners, whatever they can do, whether they can phone or email, to get in touch and make their voices heard. Because the incredible thing is, as you said, Noel, we have done it in the past. We can do it again. And um, sometimes, as you said, the government's just not in touch with the, the feeling on the ground, as we've seen so many times. And I think the people are on your side, Noel, and on the side of survivors. And hopefully that's going to make a difference. So um, thank you both very much for coming on. Thanks, Roisin. Thanks, Roisin. That was Maeve O'Rourke and Noel Brand there. And as they said, if you make your voice heard on this, you can make it count and it can really change things. That's it from me. The podcast is produced by Suzanne Brennan, Aideen Finnegan and me, Roisin Ingle, with JJ Vernon on sound. 
Get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast or by email thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today... We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.